Thank you, darling. Well done. Shame about the offering, but we'll... We'll talk about it in the car going home. <laughs> she always pulls me up on things. I'm really quite wriggly with excitement, you know. She forgot the offering. Okay, good, good. Yeah, once again, welcome. Good to see you here. Actually, Fliss did rightly say that I, I wanted to just say a huge thank you to Emma Bluston, who is our communications uh, manager, who's put together this uh, prayer diary. There was one last year. We started this thing we call phase two, which is to buy the building next door. And we're, we have the largest food bank in, in um, Hertfordshire. And we are so hard pressed. So we're the majority of it is being given to our food bank and associated ministries. It's quite complex, quite a network now. But also additional, uh, we're going to have a new children's centre through there, new youth centre there. It's, it's in, in some ways, it's going to become like the Vineyard Family Care Centre or something like that. But it's, it's very exciting. It's phase two. Have a look at that. Last year, throughout the summer, and lots of people said how good it was, we had this prayer diary. And Emma has put this together. Please don't read it while uh, I'm preaching. But there you are. There's a little to topic for each one week. It's just great. And, and she's just done an excellent job. So, so brilliant and well done and fabulous. And actually, talking about buildings, we're going to kind of talk a little bit about buildings for, for, throughout the rest of this, this time together. But um, we actually had a lovely surprise a week or two ago. Our architect, who's drawing up all the plans for this, came in with a full-blown model and that was a surprise. They are extremely expensive, and he, he just loves what's happening here. So he took it upon himself to do this. It's, I wish you could all see it, uh, uh, but the trouble is it's incredibly fragile. We had one one before when we bought this place, and I tell you, we had a nightmare with it. It just got knocked about, and every Monday morning, some poor hapless intern had to sort of glue it all back together again, you know. So we've, we thought about it, and we thought, well, what should we do? And what we decided to do was we got Adam Dickens, who's one of our members, to take a whole load of photographs and put it into a bit of a slideshow. And, and because we're excited about this, and please bear with us if it's, if it's tedium and boring, but just give us a minute or two here just to watch a slideshow of the of this model, and the reason that is helpful is that some people just have difficulty looking in 3D, so, so this might help a little bit, but sit back, chill out, enjoy just for a minute or so. Thank you very much, uh, thank you. Great piece of work, give them a little clap, you know. <laughs> Fantastic, the skill and the hours that went into that. Well, without further ado, I want to Spend a bit more time thinking about buildings, but the temple in Jerusalem, let me just pray and then we'll get into God's word. Father, I want to say thank you to you for all that you're doing in this place. Thank you, Lord God, that your gospel is bearing fruit all over the world. Thank you, Lord God, for the health of your church in this city, this region. And Lord God, I pray that I will not let the side down this morning, that Lord, my speaking and my preaching this morning will be effective. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I've got to hand it to you, parents. Your kids have been very good. No tantrums in church or anything like that. And uh, I, I think probably that, uh, you know, Fliss and I would, would, would say to you, we know what it's like. We had four kids that we used to take them to church. I remember one place we went to in Cornwall. One of my daughters was wriggling a bit. We'd been shown down to the front row. Some of you guys got shown down the front row in this little country church. 
And we sat in the front row, didn't we? And one of our daughters was, as I say, wriggling away. And a, a dear old lady, let's call her that, a dear old lady leant forward and slapped her on the shoulder and said, sit still, dear. Well, well, with, well, Flissy, bless her heart, burst into tears and left the building. And I wasn't long behind it. it. You know, it's such a stress sometimes. No tantrums here, though. But you know what? Jesus, and this wasn't when he was a baby, when his parents took him to the temple. Jesus had a bit of a tantrum in the temple. And I wonder if you know what I'm talking about. Let's read this passage out of Mark's gospel. And this is Jesus coming into Jerusalem as a grown man. And it says in verse 15, Mark chapter 11, verse 15, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written? My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. So what was going on, as in many sort of religious places, you know, there was all sorts of trade going on around the perimeters. Some of that was legitimate. Some of it was selling, in this context, uh, sacrificial animals, and they had to be of a very particular type. You couldn't just sort of grab a chicken out your farmyard and take it up the temple. That wasn't the way it was done. These, these animals had to be as far as one could see, perfect in every way, without blemish. And so there were special breeders who bred animals for the sacrifice. So, you know, pilgrims coming to Jerusalem, they would buy their sacrificial animals as they were about to go in and make the sacrifices. So there was a certain amount of legitimacy trade there, I guess, if you squint into the sun, but there was an awful lot else going on. And Jesus saw this and he had a tantrum in the temple. It was actually happening, happening in the temple grounds. And, and we're going to look at that and see what was behind that tantrum, what was behind that outburst. In John's gospel, it actually says that Jesus made a kind of a whip thing. He didn't just sort of lose it. He made, it was very, that was very intentional. He made this kind of whip thing and drove them out. Let's stare a little more deeply, look a little more deeply into the heart of God. And to begin that, just a very short diversion, I want to begin in Isaiah chapter 55. So if you've got a Bible or a smart device, it'll come up on the screen too if, if you haven't. But let's just look at that. Isaiah 55, and this is God the Father speaking through one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament, Isaiah, to God's people. And it really it begins to express God's heart, not just for God's people, but for the nations. And what he says this, he says, come all, not just you guys, but all who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Sounds like a food bank, doesn't it? Not quite. God's heart is for the nations, and you and I are the nations. I mean, I look out here and I see many sort of cultures and nations represented. God's heart is not just for the Jewish nation, who will always have a special place in his heart, but for all of us. And right back there, 700 years before Jesus, in the midst of the sort of, the, some, some might say the glory days of, 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 of Israel, God is, is there reminding them that he has called the people of God to bless and to be a blessing. Turning over the page into 
Uh, Isaiah 56, another little background and then we'll get back onto the main thread again. God says in chapter six and reading on from there, it says, and foreigners, not you guys, the people of God, and foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to become his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and all who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and I will give them joy in my house of prayer. House of prayer, house of prayer. Jesus said, God the Father said that the temple would be a house of prayer for all nations. You've turned it into a den of thieves and robbers. And this was why he had that tantrum. Because God's heart was to embrace everyone, you and me, whatever your background. You may be a Christian, you may be uh, another major religion, you may be agnostic, you may be atheist, you may be here just because you, you're doing a favor for a friend or whatever. But God, his heart is for you and for us. It was always his heart. But something in Jesus' day had gone wrong. And now I just want to try and sort of demonstrate this a little bit by, uh, by looking at the temple. And let's have, uh, I've got an image. It's not the greatest of images, but it will do. And it serves a particular purpose, which I really wanted to, uh, to, sh to show you. Now this is a model of, Herod's temple, it's no longer there. It, it was destroyed in about 60 years after Jesus' birth. But this is a model, and the thing I particularly wanted you to see, there's the great big uh, center, there's the big, then there's courtyards and, and all of this, and it's a huge site. You know, it goes beyond this image. It is part of the Temple Mount. But what I wanted you to notice was this, this kind of fence that crosses that courtyard on the right-hand side there. Do you see that? Now. That was not in the original plan. That fence there was not what God said should happen. That fence was put in later. And that fence segregates the court of the Gentiles, which is everything outside of there, with the court of the Israelites, which is everything inside. So there was a, a, a separation, a segregation, if you like, that had been put in and Jesus found when he visited the temple that all manner of you know, stuff was going on in the court of the Gentiles. You know, there was, there was legitimate, legitimate traders, but there were sort of money changers and shortchanging you. There were probably, I don't know, there might have been a, you know, a souvenir shop, a Starbucks even, who knows, you know. But um, all sorts of stuff. And it was as if the temple authorities said, oh yeah, yeah, put it in, put it in the court of the Gentiles. And this was what... What really bugged Jesus was that he wanted those who were non-Jews, he was a Jew himself, he loved the Jews, he came for the Jews, but he was bugged, he was irritated that actually all the other stuff had been dumped into the area that was the court of the Gentiles and that was what was really throwing him off and that's why he said, you know, it is said, it is written, my house will be a house of prayer for all nations, you've turned it into a, into a you know, carnival. So that was what was going on there. While we've got this image up though, I just wanna point out one or two other things. If you were an Israelite, if you were a Jew, you could cross that line. If you weren't, you actually, you actually faced, it was pain of death. Now the Jews couldn't actually carry that out in their day because of the Roman occupation, but that was the idea. But if you were a Jew, you could go beyond that and you could come round to this golden door here and you could go in there into the court of the women. 
So ladies, that's as far as you got, that first inner court there. That's where you could go. As I say, the whole thing was deeply segregated. If you were a guy, you could ascend the steps through that kind of archway with the brown doors in the middle there, and you would take your, your, your uh, uh, sacrifices, and they would be uh, sacrificed by the priests in the courtyard beyond that. That was, the, that was the place where the sacrifices took place, the things you'd bought outside. Now beyond that, it gets really tricky to get in. The big doors and the big square building up there, that takes you into the holy place. Now only the priests were allowed into that place. And the priests, not, not any old priests, but the priests who were part of a particular tribe on Rota, when it was their month, they got to go in there and perform their priestly duties. Inside of that place, that big square block, there was a huge, great, big tapestry curtain, literally from floor to ceiling, from wall to wall. And that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. In the holy of holies, was the Ark of the Covenant, and various other sacred uh, um, things, but the most important thing was that the Ark of the Covenant in there with the, the law that Moses gave them. Above it, there was this wonderful fabrication of golden cherubs, and, and it was sometimes called the mercy seat. And actually, it was the most holy of all Israel's artifacts. It was the very place that God dwelt. His presence was there. So holy was this that only one priest once a year was allowed to go in there. And that was decided by the drawing of lots. So they'd take all the priests who were sort of eligible and then they would you know, pull names out of a hat. Don't know quite how they did it, but one guy was elected once a year to go in there and to perform various rituals and, and, and rites. The terror, if I can just put it this way, the terror of that place was that God, when there had been disrespect or hidden sin or a poor attitude or something like that even, had frequently burnt people to a crisp. It was like walking into a nuclear reactor without any kit. And so they literally used to tie a rope round the priest's ankle so that if, when he went in there, he was burnt to a crisp, they could pull him back out again. And so, you know, when he went in, they'd wait a bit and then say, are you all right, Joe? Uh, you're all right? Oh, okay, just checking, you know. But if they heard a, a faint sort of pss, pss, and there was a smell, <laughs> and there was a smell of a barbecue, <laughs> quick, pull him out. I'm, I'm being silly. Being very silly. But I say all of this to say that this Temple Mount, this, this holy place, and in those days, if you wanted to get to be with God, you'd have to go to Jerusalem. You couldn't pop down the road to the Methodist church. You'd have to go to Jerusalem. You'd have to buy sacrifices. There was prescriptive rituals and rites for every step of the way, and depending upon your, your, who you were, you got this far or that far or the other far. But when it came to the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God, that was reserved just for one very special person once a year. Now, all that changed. All that changed. Radically. Amazingly, 
extraordinarily. In that day, if you wanted to be with God, you went to the temple. Around about that time, in fact, it happened probably a couple of hundred years prior to that, people started meeting in things called synagogues. We still have synagogues today. Little community places where they would study the scriptures. And I'm sure that there was a sense of God's presence there sometimes, but this was the place. But all that changed radically on Good Friday, the first Good Friday. I'm not going to read the whole story. I'm just going to read a little portion of it, just two or three verses of it. But this was the moment where Jesus Christ, who as Christians we believe is the Son of God, we believe he's perfect, He is God himself. This is the moment when Jesus Christ is hanging on the cross. And why is he on that cross? He's substituted himself for me and for you. He is dying on the cross like a wonderful elder brother, a wonderful savior, stepping in to save you and I, a younger brother who's lost his way, stepping in to take the punishment for the sin in my life. He goes to the cross, not me. He takes my death and I get his life. So Jesus is hanging on the cross. And then we come to this. And let's just read it. It's uh, Mark chapter 15, isn't it? I think that's what I've said. No, what is it? Matthew 11? I don't know. Whatever. At noon, Jesus is on the cross. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani? Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What, forsaken Jesus? God's forsaken Jesus? How can that happen? God and the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit had been in perfect community, perfect communion, perfect intimacy. But at that moment, as the sin, my sin, your sin settled on him, then God had to turn his face away. Many of us spent a whole lifetime feeling separate from God, not knowing why. What did we do wrong? Where did we go wrong? Or maybe you do know. You just carry shame now. But as sin settled on Jesus, so God turned his face away from him. What an awful, terrifying ordeal. Why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard him say this, They said, listen, he's calling for Elijah. They thought he was kind of calling out for one of the prophets to come and rescue him or something. He's delirious. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes and takes him down, he said. And with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple, remember that great big tapestry curtain there? The temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. The very thing that separated even the priests from the presence of God was ripped asunder. And suddenly it's as if the presence of God flows out into all humanity, all creation. And we are sucked and drawn back in. That great thing called sin, that terror called death that had had brooded over us and oppressed us and oppresses many still was dealt with by Jesus on the cross. And that great convoluted, segregated, divided up place called the temple was suddenly made redundant because Jesus, God with us, 
made it possible for us to come back into his presence as sons and daughters made in his image. One last little verse to just wind this up. Jesus himself said this, Matthew 11, verses 28 and 30. Remember what God said in Isaiah 55, come to me, all who are thirsty, all who are hungry. Jesus says, now, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, not that yoke of sin, that ball and chain you've been dragging around with you all your life. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God is with us. More than that, he has shown us that he is for us. The question simply is, will we come? Will we come to him? Amen. Let's have the band out and we'll finish with the song. Let's, let's stand to pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you to you for your presence here. Lord, we do not take your presence for granted. We ask, Lord God, that you would impress upon us the wonderful truth of what you've done for us. We ask, Lord God, that we would indeed respond to you. We would indeed receive you and invite you into our lives to deal with our past, our present, and our future. We ask, Lord God, that you'd have mercy upon us and that you would change our life today in an instant. And everyone said, Amen.